You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As it says at the top, this is Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. I am neck deep in draft talk uh, content in general. We're going to talk about the Indians for most of this pod as we had the day off on Monday for Memorial Day. We have four games to talk about, an interesting promotion, and uh, where is the season going? What can the Indians do to right this ship? It's uh, it's getting ugly for the Cleveland Indians. I want to remind everyone, you can listen in your car, uh, tell your podcast app, if it's the new Himalaya app, Google Tunes, Google Play, iTunes, just tell play Locked On Indians. Um, let's get those numbers up. So, the Cleveland Indians front office which I am a big supporter of, it's going to sound weird, pretty much deserves to get an F for this past offseason, and honestly for last offseason as well, which saw the only major acquisition really over the last two years being uh, Yonder Alonzo, who they were lucky that the White Sox took for free off their hands. Um, currently the Indians are 26-27, and 27. they're under five hundred. We are almost into June. I did mention this is an absolutely brutal part of their schedule. Once we get into June, they have a really easy month where they can try to gain some ground. But it does not change the fact that at this point, not only are they second place, they're ten and a half games back, and that over the past week, for the first time, the Indians' odds to make the postseason fell below 50%. So let that sink in. The front office basically went into this year going we can try some stuff out we don't need to make any huge commitments we're under a mandate to cut salary uh we can win this division going away and the twins said you know what two years ago we made the postseason we're gonna go out and make a few big name signings and see what happens the twins are currently the owners of the best record in the american league at 36 and 16 it's the best record in all of baseball I keep forgetting that the uh, American League's been tougher than the uh, than the National League this year. So they're currently the best team in baseball. They have a plus 111 run differential, which is just ridiculous. And they're 9-1 and one in their last 10 games. The Indians are not catching the Twins. It would take a combination of a massive Twins collapse along with several Indians players elevating their game multiple levels. This past weekend, the Indians faced one of the teams that they're going to be competing for for the wild card, and the Rays pretty much took them apart. Which, you know, we'll start with Friday's game and go from there, just kind of going through all these games. I will be honest again, I've been watching college baseball. When it gets down to it and it's draft season, I'm not watching the Indians. But I can still look at the box scores. I still know how guys are performing. I'm still reading about the stuff. I just don't have as much time to spend on the nitty-gritty watching these games. On Friday night, the Indians picked up their only win of this series. Uh, A surpriser in some ways and not so much in others. The surprising fact is that they beat beat Blake Snell. That's not exactly what you expect. Uh, Blake Snell's one of the best pitchers in baseball, so for him to be the pitcher that they beat in this series isn't expected. On the other side, Shane Bieber continues to be the Indians' top starter, so when you have him out there, that gives them a chance to win every time out. Bullpen did a, a great job coming in for four innings as Bieber only went five, 
and they really held it together, and Brad Hand continued to be extremely dominant for this team. In the game, you look at it, Jordan Luplow with his sixth home run of the year, continuing to be, uh, I mean, at this point, a really solid pickup for the Indians. I no longer regret that deal. Um, I still don't get the Max Morhoff side of it, but Jordan Luplow is made up for the cost of acquisition there. Outside of him, it was, uh, you know, you look at the box scores, you're like, well, Perez reached base twice, Bowers reached base twice, and no one else. So it's not not a strong performance by the Indians on the whole, but they are able to Luplo homers to tie it after Tampa Bay gets out front, and they manufacture a run, which is something they've struggled with all the year. Sure, it came off of uh, an infield single to the catcher and a walk, but hey, manufacturing runs is something the Indians have not done most of this year. So they get that win. That's great. I mean, technically the loss goes to Jose Alvarado, who's been one of the top relievers for Tampa this year and last. But uh, picking up a win against Blake Snell, you're always going to take. Next day, Charlie Morton against Carlos Carrasco. We start this one off with, uh, you know, Morton goes six innings and just dominates the tribe. Carrasco, not a great performance. He is struggling this year. His velocity is down. He is getting hit hard, and that showed. He gave up three home runs. He's still not walking anyone, and he is missing bats, but he's not quite the Carlos Carrasco of a few years ago. Offensively, Carlos Santana with his ninth home run of the year and his tenth double. Leonis Martin had a pair of hits. And you go through, it's like, well, Roberto Perez had two walks. That's that's probably your third best offensive performance in the game. Not strong at this point. They're really struggling through, which is, you know, I might, might as well say water is wet to say the Indians hitters are struggling. We come up on the Sunday game that knocks him down to a 500 record. Oscar Mercado gets his first career home run. They move him up to the two spot, and I like this. Um, I don't think he'll keep hitting how he has been hitting, but compared to the rest of the team, I like putting him at two. I like putting Santana at three. I don't understand in what world uh, Kipnis can be your four hitter unless Tito is literally just looking at batting averages, which would be extremely foolish, but the way this lineup and everything else has been done this year, I could see him doing that. Um Kipnis should probably be hitting ninth. He's one of your least effective hitters. Uh, sure, Jose Ramirez has a lower average and a lower slugging, uh, but he's getting on base at a slightly higher percentage. So maybe you can make the case that uh, Ramirez should be ninth and Kipnis eighth. But there's really no argument for anyone else um, as long as all of your other regulars are in there. It's... it. <laughs> Indians lose this one six to three. Uh, Trevor Bauer has one of his better games. I agree with his statement that uh, he actually thought he had one of his better performances. It's not a great performance, but it's a step forward for him with the three earned runs, only one walk, eight Ks, the home run. You know he's now given up more home runs this season uh, before June than he gave up all of last year. And home run rates are always a little bit fluky, and that's why. I, you know, I gave that warning at the start of the year that he was probably going to have some regression statistically, and that became the case. Um, 
And here's the sad thing. I mean, Tampa beat up on the Indians this week without Diaz, who is dealing with injuries. I mean, it's a loaded team. They have so much depth, and uh, they took the Indians apart. There's no real nice way to put it. Martin with another two hits. He's starting to play better. Mercado had two hits, two walks for Lindor. Um, crest the team. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for playing. Uh, Nick Wetgren and Tyler Olson both gave up a run in relief, or else this game could have been a little bit closer. Pair of errors in the game. I mean, th- this is one they could have won. This is the one game in the series you look back and you go, they had a shot here. This is where they had their shot. And they did not get it. So then we go into the uh, the game against the Red Sox, which was ugly. Jeffrey Rodriguez looked really good in those early starts. Jeffrey Rodriguez has always had really good stuff that's been extremely hittable. Teams are seeing him more, and his performance has really started to slip, especially over his last three outings. Um, it's not good. He's There's a reason why he was moved to the pen. Um by the Nationals. Uh, I, I appreciate him as a depth guy, but uh, he's one of those players you want. In an ideal case, he's in your bullpen. He's a nice long arm choice. He's your emergency starter. It's not going well for him. Uh, I mean, this was an ugly one. Even Oscar Mercado's defense uh, kind of comes back to get him, but you can't really get angry at the guy who goes two for four with a walk and three hits. You look through this game, um, two hits for Kipnis, uh, including one of their three extra base hits. All of them were doubles. Carlos Santana has a rough game, but Mercado on base three times. Twice on base for Lindor. Kipnis on base twice. Bowers on base twice. Uh, Freeman on base twice Greg Allen and Martin were not so much Greg Allen out there and left I mean he was hitting so well in AAA and I've liked him as a player but man is he having a rough year this year up in the majors uh, there's uh, there's no way around it it is just not going well for him um, but at the same time you, you know you gotta figure out you need a platoon partner for Luplo. Uh As mentioned, Rodriguez, uh, six Ks over four and a third innings. That's actually one of his better K performances. Three walks, eight hits, seven runs, six earned. Um, Oliver Perez, who had been pitching so well of late, comes in, gives up two runs, a rough outing for him. Otero gives up a run. Smith, who was, an I thought, an odd addition to the team, uh, gives up a run. Simber gives up a run. Red Sox get 12 across. The Indians get five. It's not a bad offensive performance. This is one you pretty much lay at the feet of your pitchers, and you go, this can't work. This isn't going to allow us to win games. It's a reminder that uh, remember to subscribe to us using the new Himalaya app you on Google Play, iTunes, everything else that's huge for this podcast. Also, I remind you, use Hotels.com. Um, I'm telling you to do it because they're a great sponsor. I'm also telling you I've used them. Their whole thing is they make money by saving you money. It takes and gets uh, compiles everything for you so that when you're looking for a hotel, you'll find the best deal. They only make money by saving you money because if they're not saving you money, you're not going back. Hotels.com. I use them myself. So in the second half of this show, 
we are going to talk about Zach Plesak to lead off, who's going to be the starter for the Indians tomorrow or today, depending on when you listen, his uh, ascent through the the minors. He's an interesting story, someone I've been talking about uh, since before he was even drafted. Uh, we'll go into Plesak, and then after that, I'm going to throw out a few ideas for what the Indians can do going forward to help this offense, which is uh, a disaster, to put it nicely. So Zach Plesak is getting the call up. I can tell you, I remember watching him play as a two-way player at Ball State. I remember when him and Eric Lauer were viewed as the the next two great arms at the same time out of the MAC. They were going to be the guys who were both potential first-round picks uh, between sophomore year, their sophomore years. I remember I watched Lauer as a Saturday starter for Kent that year. And Plesak was the Friday starter, so I actually saw him as an outfielder because I couldn't come to the Friday night game. And through his career, he played in 41 games, had 105 at-bats as a hitter, and career uh, OPS of 790. So he wasn't a bad outfielder, and he definitely had the arm strength for it, but we all knew his uh, future was on the mound. He was always able to limit his walks in college, but he ran into some arm trouble. His senior year, things were... Uh, after the arm trouble, he tried to come back. It was not a strong performance. The Indians drafted him in the 12th round and gave him a $100,000 signing bonus, which at the time wasn't even the max that you could give a 12th round pick. He was an interesting player, and I talked about that, and it's always been one of my things. This is a guy who had some really high views on him as a sophomore, and then arm injury small conference kind of got forgotten about the Indians pounce now he's always had the ability to control the ball he's always had command and control it's just improved with the Indians his change up has always been an above average plus pitch he was more of a low 90s pitcher though this year he's sitting 94 hitting 97 that's a a massive change for him and talking to people around uh, the organization you know the other thing that comes up with the police act is not just the velocity jump but he is spotting things better. The command has taken another step this year, and he's just more confident. He's a guy who was kind of moved around in his time in the minors because he was not a priority prospect, but this year forced his way into being a priority prospect. But you look across the board, he's pitched well in the minors. His walk rate is barely over two. His home run rate under half. His strikeout rate over eight. He's not necessarily dominating but he's just being a solid steady performer you look at this performance and you go just fastball change you know he's working on that third pitch still but he has a really high floor he's going to be a really good reliever if nothing else uh those two pitches you can put him in the pen but there's a legitimate chance i would probably have him around the fourth or fifth best prospect in system and he's could be a back-end starter the indians believe in enough to call him up so you look at uh the movement he has made this year through the system. He had all of three starts in AAA. He had the six starts in AA this year. He had four starts last year, but he was a bit up and down with those starts. It's not like he had four starts in a row. I remember being there for a start he had um, in May, and then he was back at the end of the year. He is um, one of those guys who's a little bit older. He turned 24 earlier this year. He's got you know his, his bloodlines, being the nephew of Dan Plesak, but he'll get the start, and he's, you know, he. I don't, I'm not going to say he's here to stay, but he's someone who is 
lining himself up to be one of their first options um, in the near future. And once they get Clevenger back, who should be around two weeks away from returning, uh, Kluber's progressing as well. So all of a sudden you're going to have Kluber, you're going to have your main rotation in place. That gives you those five starters that we know about. Plucko's a depth arm, solid in that regard. Anderson isn't stretched out at this point. Uh, Rodriguez is starting to run into some issues. Plesak's going to be one of those guys kind of in that bubble of uh, players. If he comes up and pitches well, he's going to start forcing the door. And with the Bauer situation, I think it does return to the fact that he is, especially if this team is looking at a... uh, you know, being 500 when they are in July. If you're believing in Zach Plesak, if you think that that he can be a solid back-end guy, and you have Bauer who, yes, can be the best pitcher in baseball, but also uh, has never been consistent for his entire career, if you can sell high and get some help, that's something that's going to stand out. That's something that uh, the Indians are going to be more likely to consider because of the depth. And I do think there is still going to be a place for a trade uh, to occur. I still think the Padres are going to make a ton of sense, especially as we get closer to the deadline for both teams. And this comes down to the fact that the Padres are a team with hitting depth. And you're sitting there and you look at their top hitters. They have a pair of right fielders in Hunter Renfro and Fran Mo Reyes, who are both going to be you know, very attractive to the Indians. My one concern with... Uh, with Renfro this year is the extremely low walk percentage. Reyes isn't walking too much more, but they're both hitting for power in a stadium that suppresses it. They're both posting good offensive numbers, and they're both kind of stuck in a situation where this is a team paying money to Will Myers, who's in left. Neither of them can really play center, especially if you're the Indians and can get Reyes, who you would have longer term, who's younger, who's cheaper. That's the ideal. If you're like, well, who else would the Indians try to get if they move Bauer? There are two other pieces that make the most sense to me in this situation. The second piece is Josh Naylor. The Indians already have his brother in system. He has played some outfield this year for San Diego. He is not an outfielder. He is a DH or a first baseman. There's not really a great place for him in San Diego. He's one of those guys that makes a lot of sense for them to flip. And for the Indians, he is a ready bat who you could just slide into that DH position and would give you better production than what they have seen so far at that position this year. On the third and last piece, I think making some sense in there, when you go through, obviously, you're not getting Chris Baddock at this point. You're not probably going to be able to get Matt Strom. So you look at their next tier, you probably are best served trying to get Joey Lucchese. His home run rate is and his walk rate are on par with Eric Lauer, who's the bigger name, who is younger, who does have more ceiling and is the local product, but he's missing more bats, and Lucchese has missed bats going back to college. He has always had that ability. The Indians don't have a left-handed starter, so if you're able to do a trade like that and get Lucchese, who's not been spectacular but has been solid, and you have multiple years of control, you get him at the back end of your rotation as a lefty, give someone like Plesak a little more time, you add a Fran Mill Reyes and a Josh Naylor, it it transforms the Indians a bit. Because all of a sudden you're looking at, okay, so we can have uh, Lindor 1, Mercado 2, 3 Santana, 4 Reyes. And then you're like, huh. So I don't know if you want to push Naylor to 5 already, 
but knowing the way Tito plays things, it would definitely be Kipnis there. But you'd probably be better off specifically in a left-handed lineup with uh, Luplo hitting five. You can picture Bowers and left. Well, Bowers wouldn't be playing if Luplo's playing, likely in this situation. But you get my point. Just that top four changes, it's going to shift everybody down. You can set up a situation where your fifth hitter is Roberto Perez. Sixth can be, you know, Bowers, Naylor, as you figure out that situation. And you still are left with, you know, Jose Ramirez, Kipnis, and Leonis Martin for your last three spots. So it it's a lot. To me, that's a big change. It's a big transformation. And this team needs so much offensively at this point that we need to look outside the box. But I just keep coming back to the San Diego Padres. They have the pieces that could help now. They have, they're a logical trade partner with the Indians. And, you know, they had approached the Indians about Bauer before. The Indians are in a situation where there aren't a lot of bats coming to necessarily help them. They did promote Daniel Johnson to AAA, hoping that he'll, you know, be someone to help them this year. But you sit back and you look. Padres are currently second in the Central. They are in the wild card battle, one would say. So it's a, it could be a situation that benefits the Indians. Remember, Bauer is going to be a free agent at the end of 2020. His value will peak at this offseason or this trade deadline. A year and a half rental is always when you get more than a year of rental, you get the best total package. Those three players I mentioned would probably also net a prospect at the end of it as well, who is not someone who would help the Indians right away. So there's, I think, trading one of these starters is really going to be the Indians' best chance of maybe not winning this year. I don't know if this year is in the cards, but a chance of extending this window and trying to get back in contention for the playoffs next year. Again, thank everyone for listening, subscribing, uh, using the Google Play, the Himalaya app, iTunes. That is all great for us. Thank you for listening. I'll have a ton of draft content up, and we will have more draft on the podcast throughout this week. As always, thanks for listening, and go Tribe!